Hello, and welcome to Physiology of the Brain with Jacob and Joseph. I'm uh, Joseph. Cool. <laughs> There's no Jacob today. No, I'm Jacob. I just <laughs> feel like it's fair to assume that if you're Joseph, I'm Jacob. No, it is given, a fair assumption. Given the title. Given the title. Well, we're back. It's been significantly too long for my liking, because I actually really enjoy recording. We have, a, we have a lot of fun with it. Um, but anyway, life has been a little crazy. I don't... Why did we miss... You were in a different country. Oh, yeah. For one weekend. And then I was theoretically doing a half Iron Man the other weekend. Exactly. Wow. But here we are. We missed it too much this week, so we're doing a midweek special, which was also a special request topic. But we'll get into all that. How are you, how are you doing, my friend? It's been, it's been a minute for our listeners out there. I don't, I don't know. Cool. Me too. <laughs> you have more interesting things to say than I do. You were, but where were you when you were not in the country? What country were you in? I was in Honduras. And for those of you who know me, which is everyone who listens to this. <laughs> <laughs> Unless our one, what was his name? Who fun, who helped fund it? Oh, Mark. Mark. Was his name Mark? I'm pretty sure it was Mark. It was Mar- Maybe Mark listens. We don't know Mark. <laughs> that would <laughs> be know. awesome. We had some random person like the Facebook page once, so maybe they listen too. Hey. Who knows? Anyway, for the majority of you who listen to this, this podcast, you know that my family and I have been going to Honduras for quite some time now. I think together we've been going for four years, and my mom's been going for five or six and she's actually down there teaching now, uh, which is pretty awesome. So it's kind of a dual purpose where I got to go see all the kids at the school um, and at the home and also see and hang out with my mom, which is really neat. Um, so yeah, that was the Honduras trip. And then I got back, kind of scrambled to catch up and get ahead again on work because this past weekend was the New Orleans Half Ironman, um, which as any of you who know me... <laughs> also know it was canceled while we were standing there early in the morning pouring rain Um, they ended up canceling it and of course as is the case with New Orleans it ended up being a really sunny day uh, which made the cancellation all the more difficult to swallow Um, but anyway so yeah I was I was pretty pumped um, all ready to to finally do the Ironman the half Ironman for which I had been training for a really long time (laughs) Uh, but it didn't work out, so such is life, I guess. But those are my updates. Yeah. But but good news from a um, fitness standpoint is we will be running in a marathon in the spring. Yeah, boy, with Sean too. Yeah, he will be in it, and uh, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna run our hearts out. We're gonna run our brains out. It's gonna be synaptic. Yes. <laughs> It will be synaptic. <laughs> if my brain is functioning at the end of it, we will we will see. Dude, we're going to enjoy a lot of food and a lot of food. We need to figure out where we're going to eat right after. That's true. There's no – I wish there were barbecue – I wish there were good barbecue places in New I Orleans. want chicken wings. We should just – I've been having a craving for chicken wings for about eight weeks now. I have a feeling we're going to eat chicken wings before March though. I do too. But then by the time March comes around again – I'll probably be feeling chicken wings again. All right, especially we'll if this wings. new place is good, because before I've had some troubles finding good chicken wings. So. 
Alright, that might be the deal then. That would be legit. But anyway, as we mentioned, this is a special requested podcast episode from who is our self-proclaimed but also pretty objectively true number one fan. Yeah, I'd say she's number <laughs> she's number one. Yep. I think it's a it's pretty it's a pretty easy contest to give her the victory with that one. But anyway, that's Frankie, who many of you may know if you decided to chime in on the Friday review, uh, which kind of gives a little breakdown of things. I did do that last week, so that was a plus. I noticed that. Yeah. That's how I found out we were doing one of uh, Frankie's recommended topics, because uh, yes. you mentioned that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, uh, yeah, uh, Frankie has thrown a few topics out that she's curious about, but one of them was memory, which is a very broad topic um, and a super interesting topic. And a very well-researched topic, but still an incredibly mysterious topic. Yeah, I suppose so. I remember uh, learning a little bit about that in my intro psychology course. Oh yeah, you would course. have touched on that. Um, but that's about that's about all I knew. I don't I don't know that I learned much from <laughs> researching just because I didn't really know where to look. Yeah, uh, it was but. hard. To, uh, I I think if you brushed up on that psychology stuff, we'll be in the right direction. Um, but Frankie specifically asked, and I thought this was a pretty cool request, to go over things that are helpful for your memory, uh, because there's going to be a lot of bunk science out there about this, that, or the other thing you can eat, drink, or inhale to make your memory improve. And while we can't touch all that bunk science, because there's a, too much of it, uh, we can hit on some of it, and we can hit on some of the stuff that actual science is finding and sort of the intersection between those two things. So uh, we'll do that, and that'll be, I think, most of what we talk about. So maybe, maybe we'll actually have a short episode. <laughs> I don't know. We're already six minutes in. <laughs> we will see. It seems unlikely because we always say that. It never happens. Uh, but that'll be, that'll be a big bulk of things. We'll also talk a little bit about what memory is, which you could spend, I mean, I don't know. You could do an entire podcast on that not just an episode so we won't really go in too much depth with that but we'll do a little bit because it's it's good to mention and then you'll have some uh some of your stuff to look over and review and yeah that's what the day will look like i think quote unquote day <laughs> episode cool let's do it all righty what you got well let's see on my notes i wrote down about six Six words or terms. Six words. Okay. Yes. Perception, word number one. That's a good one. This is, a, this is a section of three three terms I'm going to talk about. Perception, short-term slash working okay. memory, and then long-term memory. Uh, we may have discussed this in psych. That was a freshman year, though, so I don't really you remember. definitely discussed this in psych. Okay. Well, anyways, here's, here's my understanding. Perception is... Uh, pretty straightforward. It's the things we notice as we notice them, kind of in an instant or moment type yep. type of thing. Um, Which should be distinguished from, I guess, cellular activation. Point being, a lot of stuff comes in your in your eyes, but you don't perceive all of it. So perception is something that you're you're noticing. Okay, so it'd be like colors that we don't see or frequencies that we don't see. Is that a thing? Th that is a thing. But not even what I was referring to necessarily. Um, there's just a lot of things that your your brain doesn't doesn't physically perceive. So you're conscious of stuff. Okay. And then there are, 
like things that are, are coming in, but they're also sounds that you're just not going to pick up on. Maybe you habituate to them. Um, maybe you're focused on something. Oh, you know what just happened? What? I all of a sudden remembered that I always have a ringing in my left ear, <laughs> and now See? that's all I hear. Exactly. You habituated to it. I wasn't hearing it beforehand, but now I am. Yeah, so now you, you've moved from, I guess, just having that input to your brain to perceiving that input in your brain. This The line between that can be kind of gray sometimes, but basically perceiving is, is a step more than merely having, I guess, signals in your brain, so to say. So, yeah, perceiving. Okay. Or perception. The first of your six words. Gotcha. That's helpful. And there are six phrases. <laughs> phrases. See, the next one we're going to talk about, short-term slash working memory. Mm-hmm. So, what... What our brain does, right, uh, after that perception, some of it moves into our short-term memory, which lasts a few seconds, 20, 30 seconds or so. Um, From what I've read, it seems about uh, the span of short-term memory. Um, That just seems to be kind of natural. We just perceive things, and then some of it sticks with us for a little bit. Yep. Uh, And then... Makes sense. Pretty logical. We've all experienced that. Yeah. And then from there, we uh, move to long-term memory. And so uh, anything that lasts longer than 20, 30 seconds, I guess, is long-term memory. Uh, Oh, I forgot to mention, short-term memory is limited in capacity. So we can only handle, uh, I think, anywhere between four and seven is the number I saw a few times. kind of, that's what we think, yeah. Four and seven different things. Um, It's a hard thing to quantify. Yeah, I would imagine so. Um, but long-term memory, on the other hand, seems to be basically unlimited in capacity. Theoretically. it's uh, where we're at so far, yeah. And so we can move move information from short-term to long-term. Um, and here's another word. It can be through an explicit or implicit process. I don't know if process is the right word, but basically... I think, I think those are types of memory. Or types of memory. I'm pretty um, sure. I don't... Well, what what I'm talking about is basically it, it seems like um, memories can move to our long-term memory by specifically working to remember. Uh, for yes. example, studying for an exam. Um, you're going to review the material over and over and specifically try and move that into long-term memory and, and do it well. Um, on the other hand, or wow, I'm reusing phrases a lot. I'm, there, I have like four different hands going on right now. I'm pretty <laughs> sure. Uh, on but, the sixth hand. <laughs> but then there's the implicit part, which is, for example, remembering what you did last week. Um, that's kind of there. You don't have to specifically try to remember that. It's just in your head somehow. What? So you said you imp- wait. Say that again. I think you may have mixed them. Explicit would be specifically trying to remember. Yes. Implicit, it just kind of is naturally occurring. Yeah. Well, your example for implicit was what you ate for breakfast last week. Or something like that. I think it may even be more implicit than that. Like How so? Like shooting a basketball. It's a form of implicit memory. You didn't wait for my sixth word. (laughs) And now this is probably, I think I have this from different sources, so maybe it doesn't all fit into the same framework okay. and there are different distinctions. That makes sense. Um, but there's another word I ran into called procedural. I think, um, yeah, I think which procedural is more like, falls into implicit. 
Okay, that would make sense. So that that's what I would kind of think of when I think shooting a basketball. Yeah. Um, you you just get used to it. You do it a bunch, and right. then you get you know hopefully you get better at it. Um, <laughs> Theoretically. <laughs> uh, did you ever have like one of those nights where you had to drive home and it was kind of late, and you may have been dozing off a little bit or just not focusing or whatever, and then all of a sudden you're at home and you're like, how did I get home? <laughs> No, I'm pretty horrible with directions, so I pretty much always have to focus okay. on where. <laughs> yeah, so it's like it's it's like the quintessential biology textbook example or psychology textbook of that exact scenario, and I was like, that sounds ridiculous. I always said that, and then one day senior year, it happened, and I I arrived at my house after it was it was a little late. I was driving back home from a friend's house, and I arrived home, and I was like, how did what how did I get home? It was really unsettling. And then I was like, oh, I remember now about that psychology paragraph that I was like, this doesn't make any sense. Procedural memory. It's in there stored away somewhere, and I'm just kind of doing it. I think my procedural memory might be bad because I've been shooting the basketball poorly lately. And also, I've done something like that, except instead of going home, I'll just, like, stay on the wrong road <laughs> too long and end up in the just, wrong just place. keep going. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Anyway, that's that's procedural memory, which falls into implicit. I think is, I think is how that works. And then explicit, like you said, is sequestering some sort of memory, uh, specific episode or incident or factoid or whatever. So. Yeah. So those are my six terms for you today. I think that's a good breakdown of kind of generally what memory is. And I think um, to expand upon that a little bit and to start to dive into some of the science, the Explicit memory, as we know it, kind of theorized, generally speaking, is thought to be housed in what is called the hippocampus, which we talked about definitely in the neuroanatomy section, and probably in a few episodes too, um, since it's it's sort of known as the explicit memory driver of the brain per se. So um, when you start forgetting, you know, relatives' names or or memories from the past, uh, so those sorts of amnesias that we see. And neurodegenerative diseases, most of that is uh, hippocampal de- degeneration. And so a lot of, you'll, you'll hear also one of the quintessential stories of psychology textbooks is the Alzheimer's patient that can play, you know, some some sort of concerto or Mozart piece or whatever. I'm not well versed on classical music, but <laughs> I know Mozart's a thing. Um, and and uh, the point being that the procedural, the implicit memory is kept in place despite the fact that the explicit memory is degenerating because of the hippocampus. Uh, so that would lead one to think, and you might be asking this, Jacob, oh, that means explicit memory and implicit memory are housed in different areas. Hey, hey, Joseph. Yeah, what's up? Do you, do you think that maybe explicit memory and implicit memory are housed in... In different places? I think, generally speaking, there's been some evidence for that. Yeah, good question. Cool. <laughs> uh, yeah, so the, the striatum is thought to be kind of a, I don't know, a coordinating house, per se, for uh, implicit memory. So that procedural memory we were just talking about. So that's kind of broadly speaking about, you know, the, the neurobiology of it. Um, I found... And so the, I'll get a little bit more into that, and then we'll jump into Frankie's actual request, which is sort of myths or truths or whatnot. Uh, but I found a guy, uh, Candle, I think that's how you pronounce his name, certainly how it's spelled, not like the regular Candle, though. 
and it was his 2001 um, Nobel laureate speech, which is pretty awesome to just have a, a speech there to, to hear from a scientist because it reads a lot differently than an article does, but still is super informative. So I, I really liked reading through it. But he has a quote that I want to read um, because I think it's pretty awesome and sums up a lot of what I've thought about with psychology and neurology and how those things work together. So anyway. Read away. He says, My purpose in translating questions about the psychology of learning into the empirical language of biology was not to replace the logic of psychology or psychoanalysis with the logic of cellular molecular biology, but to try to join these two disciplines and to contribute to a new synthesis that would uh, combine the mentalistic psychology of memory storage with the biology of neuronal signaling. So, I've described this to you before, how sometimes things in psychology just seem weird to me, or like people making observations and then forming theories from those, and uh, there, there seems to be what he describes as a lack of empirical language of biology. And I haven't really known how to, I guess, deal with or, or think about that dissonance that exists in my brain. That's why I love this quote, because it describes it really well. And while I won't necessarily pursue psychological research, because that doesn't interest me as much, um, I think this kind of helps uh, rectify that tension that I was like, how does psychology and neurobiology interact and all that? And So anyway, I really liked that quote, and I think it fits well into this construct of memory, too, because memory is really complex. And aside from the literal, as he says, empirical biology that's happening, there's a lot of emotions going on, too, that are associated with memory. And, and emotions affect attitude, and attitudes affect behavior, and behavior affects, um, you know, your socio stand, socio sociological standing, and all these things are interconnected. So it's really complex and difficult to to figure out, I guess, to parse out. And aside from all of those general complexities, the actual biology of it is really complex too. So I'm not going to dive too far into it because it's really complicated. Um, and I, I found a lot of super long articles on it. But one thing that Kendall also mentioned that I think is worth mentioning. So he started to look at what was this first theory of, of the electrophysiology of specific neuron types. And electrophysiology is this essentially the way that current flows through neurons, which, as you'll recall, is how they communicate. So he, he was thinking, all right, there's going to be X, Y, and Z types of neurons, and X will communicate this way, Y will communicate this way, and Z will communicate this way. And he thought they'd all be specific based on the way electricity flows through them. He found that was just not true. <laughs> it was just explicitly not true. And so the, the other conclusion would be, all right, if it's not... The, the innate structure of these neurons, it's the way in which they communicate, which is significantly more complicated than just figuring out the innate structure of a neuron, right? Because if you could just say, all right, we have these 37 types of neurons and they communicate in these types of ways, it'd be like, right, cool, we can pretty much figure out how memory works. But instead, you have all the same neurons, although, you know, obviously we've talked about different, different ones, but there aren't, you know, 37 of them. And they just have incredibly complex branching patterns. And that is memory. <laughs> How it works is crazy. Uh, and, and we're still figuring it out. But it has a lot to do with connections. So um, I won't dive into anything else. And we'll jump into the requested portion of this podcast, which was pretty fun to go through, I must admit. I think it was a, it was a pretty good idea on Frankie's part. Um, 
But just keep in mind that the crux of memory is connections, not neuron. Cool? Cool. Let's do it. All right. So what if I were to ask you, Jacob, how can you improve your memory? What, what immediately comes to mind? Some of those oils that you can like rub on the bottoms of your feet oh my that make you remember better. I forgot about those. I didn't even look up essential oils. Don't get me started <laughs> on those. Oh man, we I've talked to Maddie about those before. I they just next thing. What else would you think? <laughs> um, okay, essential oils. That's one. Brain games. Brain like, games. Logic puzzles. Lumosity. You did you ever check that out? Um, I read about it. I never tried it. Okay, it was fun. I did it for a little while. Um, mostly because it was just kind of fun games. I don't yeah. know what it really accomplished. And there's a lot of research that says some things and others that say other things, but it was fun. <laughs> so yeah, brain games, um, uh, essential oils, anything else that you think of? I always thought of antioxidants. I don't know if you've heard that one thrown out there. No, I mean, I've heard the word before. I've never... Right. That's kind of the point though. Like people throw out this word, antioxidants, you know that it's in blueberries. A lot of people know that, but like other than that... Does it really help your brain? Who knows? <laughs> Who really knows? If it if it if there's any evidence, I will use it as an excuse to eat more blueberry pancakes. Ah, good thinking, my friend. Yeah. Um, yeah. So there's there's a lot of stuff out there, and so I figured instead of just just solely doing science, I would find some of those things that are out there. And I was actually pleasantly surprised by the first two items that were on the list when I googled. Ways to improve my memory. <laughs> and, what were these things? Yeah, so the the first two items on the list, uh, the first two pages, I should say, had a lot of overlap. Uh, they were they were basically the same list. I think one was seven and one was ten or something like that. But uh, one of them, so so the uh, sleep was a big one. Talked about sleep a lot. It talked about brain games. You mentioned that. Uh, talked about um, mnemonic devices were mentioned in one. Roy G. Biv. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So ways of, of improving your memory in that sense, the, the efficiency of which you remember things. Um, diet was mentioned in both. Exercise was mentioned in both. So these are – you start to kind of question, well, these, these sound things that are just – they're good to just do for your health in general. And that's true. And that's where a lot of it kind of grays. Is it is it really beneficial just for your memory? Or is it just good for your health? And if you have good health, you'll have better memory. For most of these, I'm inclined to, to think the latter. It's um, it's more, if you eat right, if you exercise, you're just going to be more healthy. And generally speaking, you'll have better memory. So that's kind of what the reliable online facts will give you. Huge generalities on, on being healthy. Uh, Brain Games is one that's a little more specific and actually has a, a decent bit of scientific backing, but there's also a lot of controversy because a lot of the people who are proponents of these brain games are claiming things that are not true. So while we have seen a lot of benefits from exercising your brain, A, it has to be the right type of exercise. You can't just do whatever. Um, B, it, it doesn't, it's not a cure-all for cancer and neurodegeneration and obesity and all these things that have been claimed in some parts of the web. So all I'd say, brain games are, are one that they mentioned that actually is, you know, there's there's a decent bit of backing. Um, 
They definitely don't hurt your brain, is what we found. So could could help too. Uh, but but otherwise, these two lists that were reliable and were true had a lot of generalities. I found. Then I found one that was. Then I found the entertaining one, and this was third on the list. This was 36 proven ways to improve your memory, and it was kind of sad, because uh, because this this is this type of thing that people kind of buy into the billion dollar industry of uh, supplements, which are most of them are just a sham um, and a scam also. And, um, but, but it's complicated because I, I'll get into this later with the blueberry thing. Cause there's actually a study on, on blueberries. It's complicated because there is a, there's grains of truth to taking supplements, um, to doing brain games, to eating blueberries that seem to suggest that there could be some sort of beneficial cause to these things. Uh, but there's not a lot of evidence supporting it. And the evidence that is there is, is, is small. It's minor effects. It's things that need to be explored more to be concretized. And then media just runs with it. And they're like, eating blueberries will make you smarter. And it's like, no, it's not at all how that works. <laughs> um so this 36 ways to prove your memory, improve your memory, uh, that one felt a lot like that. So there were pages of dietary supplements. I think numbers 7 through like 18 were all dietary supplements on the market that were proven to enhance your memory, which is just not really true. Um, MSG is mentioned, uh, which is used in a lot of processing, uh, like processing foods. Because we like the flavor, it's actually the core component of umami, um, but it's mentioned as as a problem for for memory, which isn't necessarily true. It's in a lot of foods. Um, could it just be the fact that we're eating processed junk? Yeah, maybe. <laughs> they don't know that either, though. It needs more research. It also mentions sugar as as a thing that would destroy our memory, which is a super broad statement. Like <laughs> sugar. <laughs> Like I, there's so many different types of sugar and we eat carbohydrates all the time, which are processed as sugars and, you know, like things like that, um, that are quote unquote proven ways. So anyway, um, those are some of the, the, the junk things. So just all that to say, be careful with what you read. All right, Jacob, let's jump into the actual science stuff that we found. Give me number one. Some drug effects. Also pretty broad. This one I'm not going to jump into a lot because... There are lots of drugs that are being tested specifically on mice that are trying to improve memory in Alzheimer's models because Alzheimer's research is really big. Uh, but one that I found really fascinating was intranasal insulin injections. So they found that if you injected it uh, intravenously that there were some side effects, which is obviously going to happen because um, insulin is a critical component of um, metabolism. So you're going to alter your metabolism, but that if you inhaled it, basically, that it went straight to your brain and then had some effective uh, benefits on your declarative memory. Huh. Isn't that wild? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So insulin through your nose is, is found to, uh, to help with declarative memory in the studies that they had. Um, that does not mean to go start snorting insulin, all of you listeners out there. <laughs> um, these, are, these are still preliminary studies that are going on. But it's, I found it super interesting. Um, anyway, that was one that I found. But all that to say, there are a lot of drugs that are being researched 
that have shown some efficacy in improving memory. All right, number two. This one's awesome. Neural stem cells in mice. Yes, sir. Neural stem cells. So stem cells are what are called progenitor cells, meaning they are, I guess, back in the lineage, so to say. So it's um, they will eventually develop into some type of specific cell, but they have the ability to go whichever way they, they so choose. And so what they found is when they put stem cells into mice brains, so specifically neural stem cells, that they would survive and differentiate and together that greatly improved their memory, which is awesome. There have been a ton of studies, um, big ones with Parkinson's, big ones with Alzheimer's, trying to improve memory. And so Parkinson's would be more procedural memory in the striatum and Alzheimer's being hippocampus, frontal lobe stuff. Mm-hmm. And they've had a lot of successes, uh, but once they get to clinical trials, there have been a lot of setbacks. So all that to say, neural stem cells seem to be something that's really promising, not something you can just pick up in your supermarket and do, though. So not as, a, not as <laughs> applicable, but still interesting. Mm-hmm. All right. Numero tres. Mnemonic training for memory. Yes. Lots of studies have been shown on this. This is something you can, quote unquote, pick up uh, at your supermarket, meaning you can do it at home. Uh, just using mnemonic, mnemonics, mnemonics, I can't ever say that word, <laughs> mnemonics, <laughs> um, to, to remember things in life, tests, studies, rainbows, whatever you may be wanting to memorize. Every good boy deserves fudge. Oh boy. D, G, B, D. Well, I don't know what that one is. Music. For, ah. uh, yeah, reading music. Nice. So I didn't know that. What's the, there's the one with King Philip, right? Uh, King Philip ate some spaghetti or something like that. Kingdom phylum. Yeah, that one. <laughs> Species. I don't know the rest. I was bad at science. Genera. <laughs> Still bad at science. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, so all, all of those mnemonic devices that we either do or don't or halfway remember. <laughs> uh, but point being that those are very helpful and have been proven time and time again in psychological studies to help you remember things, especially with short-term memory. If you connect letters to words and and stuff like that when you're trying to remember items. Anyway, that's a big one. Uh, Folate. This is another one that you can sort of get at your local supermarket, uh, but you can do so without explicitly doing so. Meaning, uh, in the 90s, they had some studies about spina bifida and uh, saw that uh, folic acid, which is the same thing as folate, that decreased folic acid in, in maternal diets was resulting in increased um, frequency of spina bifida, which is a neurodevelopmental um, disorder that occurs when the spine doesn't fuse together. And so they started incorporating folic acid into flour and bread and um, who knows what else, just naturally introducing it through manufacturing, and the frequency of spina bifida just dropped uh, precipitously. So it was really cool. But anyway, folate, so you don't necessarily have to go get a bottle of folic acid, although some people do that. It's not necessarily proven to do anything when you're popping pills of folic acid. But just eating things that have folic acid incorporated into them has, has shown to be beneficial. So, um, yeah, it's kind of kind of interesting, that folic acid. And they're still doing some studies on that and figuring out how that works. And But, yeah, they've, they've uh, looked into that as treatment options as well. So it doesn't necessarily show to do anything yet. It could, though. But yet, when you just take it um, in your you know, 30s, 40s, 50s, or whatnot, but later in life, they've been experimenting with it as some sort of supplemental treatment option. So that's kind of cool. Okay. Um, omega-3s are kind of like that, too. 
Fish oil. You, have you ever had uh, omega-3 fish oil pills? No. They are very popular. One of the, the most popular supplemental pills. But they're one of the ones that has the most scientific backing on it. Um, I, I always get kind of questionable about just eating straight-up pills, though, because there's a lot of weird manufacturing things that go on. But you can get omega-3s in your diet, which is typically a more healthy uh, manner of doing it. But whatever the case may be, omega-3s and what's called phosphatidylserine, they've been doing experiments with that in mice and have shown increased um, memory and uh, what increased output on memory tasks for, for mice. So that's pretty interesting too. And you can get omega-3s either in pill form or in uh, seafood is really common. So um, eating fish is good for you. Um, it is true. So we're in the right place for seafood too. Yeah, that works out well. Yeah. Uh, so that's the one. Uh, next one, what you got? Sleep. This one, you don't have to talk about this one. Just get your sleep, really. Like, it's good for you. Lots of good things happen when you sleep. Your memories are consolidated, specifically your explicit ones. They haven't seen that procedural ones are, are enhanced in your sleep. But your explicit memories... Those are uh, there's benefit from taking a little time to rest and gel together, so to say, which is pretty much what's happening. You know, there's a lot of other complicated sciencey things going on, but for all intents and purposes, your neurons are hanging out when you're sleeping, and they're getting to know each other a little bit better. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, so definitely, definitely sleep. So if you're studying pulling all-nighters, you're not gonna remember the stuff that you supposedly learned by going all night. But if you sleep, it helps you remember better. So anyway. I think we got two more, or really one more, and then one's just kind of funny. All right. The final non-funny, uh, obesity-induced generalized and neuroinflammation. Yes. So what might that mean, you're probably asking? Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, so this is one that could apply to you, not you specifically, but the general you, if you uh, are overweight uh, or have increased uh, body fat content. Uh, what what they found is with obesity that there's this sort of generalized inflammation that occurs in your body, and one place that's particularly sensitive to this inflammation is your uh, nervous system. So there's neuroinflammation as well. So this is connected with the idea of decreasing toxicity to your brain. So you hear about people saying toxins. Have you heard that stuff? Sweat your toxins out or whatever. Maybe. That. Yeah. yeah so um, that's another example of some sort of scientific seed of truth being just blown way out of proportion. But this idea of toxicity can come in a lot of forms in your brain. One of them is inflammation. So things just don't tend to work well under inflammation. You can think of when your ankle is sore and inflamed. Um, it's, it's good. There's a healing process there uh, because your ankle is, is injured if you, you sprain it or whatever. But if you just always have inflammation because of obesity or increased body fat, very, very bad for you. So what they try to do is take a drug that specifically targets receptors in your, your body to act as an anti-inflammatory um, agent. So they have this drug called resveratrol, which has been shown to be a powerful anti-inflammatory agent. And they used that and found decreased inflammatory markers in the nervous system. And from those decreased inflammatory markers, um, they also it was it was correlated with a um, increased memory output. So these these tests are always difficult, also because it gets back to that question I mentioned earlier of is is it just because you're healthier in general, or is it specifically helping the brain? In this case, it seems like it's both. 
which isn't necessarily a bad thing, right? It, it can still be a way of increasing your brain. So expanding upon this idea of toxins in your body, another, another thought about toxins are radical oxidative species. We've mentioned it before. Uh, it's sort of byproducts of metabolism. Basically, it makes all the oxygen species which attack your body. And I think you summed it up as oxygen is bad. <laughs> um, <laughs> and so that's what antioxidants are. Antioxidants neutralize these, these species in your body. So another idea, uh, is there a way of neutralizing toxins, so oxidative species in your body, and that could somehow help your memory? Going back to blueberries, blueberries, of all the foods we eat, have one of the highest concentrations of antioxidants in them. And so the, the thought there is that perhaps eating blueberries in your diet um, would help with your enhanced memory. And there's actually a study that showed some connection between those two. And again, it, it's a grain of truth there that perhaps there's some truth to this antioxidant thing. Um, some studies have shown yes, some studies have shown that, nah, probably not. Um, but science, science is exploring it, and the media just blows it out of proportion. So another example. But those are the, the idea of if we improve our overall health, will our memory also improve? The answer seems to be yeah, probably. But that makes sense because we're just living better. Uh, but two specific examples were this um, decreased inflammation in, in obese uh, mice and increased blueberries. This was actually a, a human study with the blueberries. So, um, But anyway... So those two are maybe applicable to listeners out there, but most of these were things that you can you know, think about improving on, um, and some of them are not, like snorting insulin. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, of course we went over. That always happens. I give up at this point. This one's a little <laughs> too long. Uh, you just got to make me shut up, man. No, it's, it's okay. <laughs> I don't... I don't know about our, our actual listeners, but I, I'm fine with sitting here and listening. <laughs> I'm, I'm okay with it. Anyway, that works. Were there, uh, what, was your, what was your favorite one? And then we'll close out. Blue, blueberries. Blueberries? Yeah. That makes this, sense. This is what you I'm like take, your blueberry pancakes. This is what I'm taking. <laughs> yeah. Take a nap. Wake up. Eat some blueberry pancakes. That sounds like a good day. Any day that happens. Yeah. All right. Well, that's what we got. Thanks, Frankie, for the suggestion. It was fun to read through it. Um, hopefully we provided a little bit of insight on the real science and caution to the wind on some of the potentially fake science. Um, but as always, science is a great world. Uh, so whatever you read, take it with a grain of salt. <laughs> it's the, uh, the long message we got from this one. All right. Well, thanks for listening this week. I'm going to try and do this this week. You check, got it. Check it I out. I believe in you. Check us out on the online at pbwithjays.com. That's the one. Or on podcasts. We are called PB with J's. <laughs> That's also the one. Um, what's, email us at yeah. pbwithjays at gmail.com. Yes, sir. That's all of it, right? <laughs> uh, yeah. We're on social media somewhere, too, I think. That's pretty much how we always address that one. All right. All right. Have a good week. <laughs> <laughs>